Lord's first coming was so significant, it divided history and changed how the world measures time. And His second coming will be even bigger. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares what the Bible says about Christ's return and how it will take place in royal splendor for all the world to see. Listen as David introduces his powerful message, The Return of the King. Well, the Bible tells us that at the end of the tribulation period, King Jesus will return, not for his saints, but with his saints. He will set up his kingdom on this earth and reign for a thousand years. And the initiation of the kingdom will be the destruction of the army of Satan and the Antichrist and those who oppose the causes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked about Armageddon the last two days. Today we're going to review some of the information that is given to us in the Bible about the return of King Jesus. If you have your scriptures, you might want to turn to Revelation chapter 19 and um, verses 11 through 21. That's the text that we have before us as we study today. Hey, let me remind you that we're headed to Alaska in July. Uh, I know it's May and there's a little time left, but uh, usually uh, by the end of this month and in the middle of the next month, we, we stop talking about this because um, most of the rooms that we have uh, reserved for our crews are gone. If you haven't already registered to go with us to Alaska, I hope you will do it. It will be a great time in this beautiful part of God's created world. The um, glaciers, the mountains, just the air itself is refreshing, and it will create for you, as it always does for me, a time of refreshment and encouragement. The dates for the cruise conference are July 16th through the 23rd. You can find out all about this at davidjeremiah.org and plan to join us as we head out to Alaska in just a few weeks. Right now we open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 19 and the return of the king. The most amazing truth that there is in all of the Bible is the fact that he came here to this earth. And according to the word of God, not only did he come the first time, but he's coming back again. And the message that I want to share with you today is about that moment at the end of the tribulation period at the zenith of the battle of Armageddon when the Lord Jesus will return to the earth for the second time. Seven years earlier, he will have returned to the heavens and the rapture will have occurred when all those who are believers in Christ will have been caught up together with him and so they shall ever be with the Lord. But this time, at the end of the tribulation, the Bible says he doesn't come just to the heavens, but his feet will touch the Mount of Olives. And when he comes back in the second advent, at the end of the tribulation period, all of us who have been caught up to be with him, who are Christians, will come back with him as a part of his army, along with the angels of heaven. Now, according to the word of God, the second coming of Christ is vital. It is very important. It is not one of those doctrines, as some people do, that you just shove off to the side as if it were optional. In fact, the point I want to make at the beginning of this message today, men and women, is this, that the second coming has more press than the first. In his first coming, the Lord Jesus 
came to be our savior. In the second coming, he's coming to be our king. If you put these two comings together, his first coming and his second coming, you will immediately begin to see the contrasts that are wrapped up. First of all, when he came the first time, he was clothed in swaddling clothes. When he comes the second time, he will be clothed in a robe dipped in blood. When he came the first time, he was surrounded by cattle and common people. When he comes the second time, he will be surrounded by the armies made up of the saints and the angels. In his first coming, the door of the inn was closed to him. But in his second coming, the very door of heaven will be opened for him. In his first coming, his voice was the tiny cry of a baby. In his second coming, we are told he will have a voice like the sound of many waters. In his first coming, he was the Lamb of God who came for our salvation. In his second coming, he will be the Lion of the tribe of Judah who comes to bring judgment to this earth. It is his second coming that occupies our attention today. And if I wanted to, I could make a case that from the scriptural standpoint, the second coming of Christ is even more important than his first coming. For instance, there are 333 prophecies concerning Christ in the Bible. Only 109 of them were fulfilled when he came the first time, leaving 224 yet to be fulfilled in his second coming. Of the 46 Old Testament prophets, less than 10 of them speak of Christ's first coming, but 36 of them speak of his second coming. There are 1,527 Old Testament passages referring to the second coming. There are 7,959 verses in the New Testament, and 330 of those verses refer to the second coming of Christ. That's one out of every 25 verses. Whenever you run into somebody who says, oh, I don't preach the Bible, I don't preach that prophecy stuff, I've had people say that to me. Then you could just say, in other words, you've decided to ignore one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament. Is that right? Next to the subject of faith in the Bible, the second coming is the most dominant subject in all of the New Testament. For every time the first coming of Christ is mentioned, the second coming of Christ is mentioned eight times. And even the Lord Jesus himself referred to the fact that he was coming back to this earth and he said it 21 times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the prophets spoke of his return. Zechariah said, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. The angels announced that Jesus, who had been taken up from his disciples in the ascension, was coming back again. Acts 1.11 says, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you, will come again in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So the angels believe in the second coming. Jesus himself announced the second coming in Matthew chapter 24. Listen to his words. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
and the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus, telling us that he's coming back. John the Apostle, the human writer of this book of Revelation, said it this way, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him, and even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Almost the last words of the entire Bible, the last words of Revelation, almost the last words say this, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. So the second coming of Christ is a very important doctrine in the Bible. Don't let anyone marginalize it for you or make it less important than it is. Almighty God has set it within the context of the scriptures so that we would understand its vital importance. Now, if you want to know about the second advent of Christ, you need to turn in your Bibles to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. There you will have the broad outline of what happens when he returns for the second time. Twice in the book of Revelation, we are told that the door of heaven opens. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but this is pretty cool. In the fourth chapter of Revelation and the first verse, we are told, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. The first time the door is opened so that the church can be received into heaven. We call that the rapture. The second time the door is open so that Christ and his church can leave heaven and come back to this earth. The first opening was for the rapture, and the second opening is for the revelation. When Jesus comes to this earth the second time, he will return to the very place from which he ascended. Did you remember the words of the angels? They said, men and brethren, why are you gazing up into heaven? Don't be worried about what's going on right now, for this same Jesus who went to heaven is coming back. Where did he ascend from? From the Mount of Olives. And to where will he return? To the Mount of Olives. The Bible says, when Jesus comes back the second time, When his feet touch the Mount of Olives, he will split that mountain in half, creating a huge gully in the mountains going all the way down to the River Jordan. Nobody will have any problem realizing that Jesus has arrived. He will make it known. The first time he came quietly as a little baby, but the second time his arrival will be a magnificent appearance in the sky. In the book of Revelation, we have some of our questions answered. Like, what will he look like when he comes back? What is the designation of the Lord in the book of Revelation? Well, in these verses, you will discover there are three different names for Jesus that are given in the passage. He is referred to as faithful and true, verses 11 through 13, the word of God and the king of kings. Three different names. And these names are significant because in these names we see the whole span of the ministry of Jesus Christ. When the Bible refers to him as faithful and true, 
It is a reminder to us that from eternity past, he has always been the same. He has never changed. He is, the Bible says, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In eternity past, he is faithful and true. But in his incarnation, he was the word of God. The word come down to be one of us. And the word became flesh is what John says. And in the future, when he comes the second time, he will be king of kings and lord of lords. So in the book of Revelation, in these verses, John the Apostle has given us the wide-sweeping ministry of Jesus from eternity past, faithful and true, in the incarnation, the word of God, and in his second coming, the king of kings and the lord of lords. But not only does the Bible tell us his name, but the Bible also tells us what he will appear like. The Bible says that when he returns, his eyes will be like a flaming fire. Here in the 19th chapter of Revelation, we read that, but it's also found back in the first chapter of Revelation and the second chapter of Revelation. The Bible says that the persona of the second coming of Christ will be such that when one would view him, he would look into his eyes as if fire were coming out of his eyes. What could that mean? As we shall learn in a few moments, when he returns to the earth, it will be for the purpose of judging the nations. Whatever else may be meant by the fire in the eyes of Jesus, it certainly means this. There'll be no posturing in that day. There'll be no promotion in that day. There'll be no outward presentation of the best of the best. For the eyes of Jesus will go past all of the exterior and focus on the motives of the nations. And his judgment will be judgment that is righteous and true because he will see it all as it really is. And what is true of the nations, my friend, is also true of those who refuse to accept Christ and ultimately stand before him at the white throne judgment. The Lord Jesus doesn't have to ask any questions about us. He sees us as we are. John goes on to write that when the Lord Jesus returns, he will be crowned with many crowns. The picture of the Lord Jesus in his judgment of the earth is also a picture of his sovereignty. The crowns remind us that he is the king of kings, that he reports to no one, that he is the ultimate authority, and that every knee will bow to him because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The description of Christ in the 12th and 13th verses is a magnificent picture. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. The picture of our Lord is a vivid reminder to us of his omniscience and of his power. It says here that he wears a robe dipped in blood. That is a significant statement for it pictures his sacrifice for us. In Revelation 13 in verse 8, we read that he was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ is God's lamb, God's lamb of sacrifice for you and for me. And the scripture says that in his second coming, and I believe throughout all of eternity, it will be the lamb of God that we know in heaven. But I believe the expression that will live throughout eternity and will be so apparent to us every day throughout eternity in all of the timeless hours that we spend there 
will be the realization that there is the Lamb of God and in his hands will be the prints of the nails that put him on the cross and in his side where the spear went in and in his feet. And every time we see the Lord Jesus, we'll be reminded that he is the only reason we're there. (laughs) It's nothing that we have done, not of our works or righteousness. No one will be able to prance around heaven talking about all the good things they did to get there because there's only one way to heaven, and that's through the shed blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when we're in heaven, we will see this Lamb, this Christ who is our Redeemer. Well, we move from the anticipation of Christ and the advent of Christ and continue in the 19th chapter. We come to the armies of Christ. Notice verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now we know that the army of heaven is made up of all the saints of all time and the angels. And we also know that when we come back, we're going to be wearing white. Now, normally, you don't go to war in your whites. But if you're in God's army, if you're in the army of Christ, you don't have to worry about that because you don't have to fight anyway, remember? You're just a part of the great army that comes from heaven, and we give glory to God through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible actually says, and he is admired by the saints. We admire our Lord. We cheer for him, and we say to one another, this is the Lord God who executes judgment upon his enemies. But whenever we talk about this, people say, well, why would God do that? Why would he come back with his armies to execute judgment on the nations? Well, Jude verses 14 and 15 will help us understand that. And I want to read this passage. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Why is judgment necessary when the Lord returns? Because of the ungodly nations. In one short verse, Jude uses that term four times. This is not an accident. It is meant to remind us that when Christ comes the second time, he is coming primarily in judgment. And by the time he comes, those who are still on this earth will have rejected the ministry of 144,000 preachers and the two witnesses that have been sent for their salvation. And they will have continued to say, we will not have this man to rule over us. And they will continue, according to the scripture, in their ungodly ways. And finally the cup of ungodliness will be full and the judgment of God will come upon this earth. The armies of heaven are made up of saints and angels and this strange army will not fight, but we will watch the judgment of God upon the nations in that moment. And I say that with some compassion in my heart. No one wants to see anybody get judged. Men and women throughout eternity, throughout the whole book of Revelation, I studied the book of Revelation several times. And one of the most impressive points in the book of Revelation is it's a book about judgment. But every other chapter or so, there's a parenthesis where God gives the people of the earth another chance. 
And then there's more judgment. And then there's another parenthesis. The mercy of God in the book of Revelation is an unbelievable truth. But in spite of all of the mercy and all of the grace extended to those for whom Christ died, they still are ungodly and they still rebel and they still say no. And there will ultimately be a time when God will say, that's it. This is the end. The day of grace is ended. And in that moment, his judgment will come to this earth. And that brings us to the fourth thing in this chapter, which is the authority of Christ. In chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, we read, And out of Christ's mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. When the Lord returns the second time, he will strike the nations with the sharp sword of his mouth. This is a metaphor, a picture, a symbolism to represent how Christ will bring judgment to this earth. And he will finally fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, which we often quote at Christmas time. You cannot go through Christmas without getting a Christmas card that has on it Isaiah 9-6. And Isaiah 9-6 is a great illustration of how the prophets of the Old Testament viewed the coming of Christ. In Isaiah 9-6, we read these words, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Now let's just stop there. When was the prophecy concerning the child being born and the son being given? When was that fulfilled, class? At Bethlehem. The son was given, the child was born at Bethlehem. But at that moment, as he was born at Bethlehem and in his earthly life, was the government ever upon his shoulders? The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. There was never a time in the earthly life of Christ when the government was upon his shoulders. That is to be fulfilled in his second coming. And some of you say, well, why would the Old Testament prophets in one verse put a prophecy about his first coming and then add to it something about his second coming, never make any explanation of it and let us figure it out? And the answer is this. In the Old Testament, when prophets looked out into the future, They often saw the future as we do sometimes in our journeys, especially across the West. They would look out into the future and they would see mountain peaks. But because the mountain peaks were so far away, it looked as if there were just one. It was only as they got closer to those mountains that they realized, oh, there's two here and there's a separation between them. The Old Testament prophets saw the coming of Christ often as one event, not understanding the difference between his first coming and his second coming. It is only as we get closer to that time in the New Testament that those events are separated. Oh, we see they're not the same. No, he's coming back, friends. The Bible speaks of it um, everywhere, especially in the New Testament. And 
He's coming back in power and glory. Before that, he'll come back in the rapture to take us home to be with him. Seven years later, the Bible says he returns with his saints and angels. That's us who are Christians. We'll be with him. Someone said, why are we dressed in white if we're coming back to a war? We're dressed in white because we're not participants. We're spectators. He does all the work. With the breath of his mouth, he defeats the enemy. And victory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll have more about this as we conclude our discussion of the return of the King tomorrow. I hope you'll be with us as we move through this last third of the three months of undeniable prophecies of the apocalypse. By the way, friends, this series is based on a book that I wrote called The Book of Signs. 460 pages. All of the material for all three months is in this book, and you can order this book from davidjeremiah.org. It will be sent to your home. It is right now one of the best-selling books we have ever done. Uh, People have ordered this book from all over the world, and even though it's uh, two or three years old, it continues every day uh, to be read by people because it's written in such a way as to make prophecy understandable. I hope you get your copy when you have opportunity. And don't forget to join us tomorrow for the Friday edition of Turning Point. I'm David Jeremiah. Thank you for listening. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard New International and New King James versions, available in a variety of attractive cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you looking for a simple way to talk with unbelievers about the end times? This month, for a donation of any amount, you can receive Dr. David Jeremiah's newest book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival. And for $40 or more, you can receive two copies of this book to share with unsaved friends. Or for a generous donation of $85 or more, you'll also receive an additional booklet and DVD to help you refresh your knowledge of the end times. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to get your copy today. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print, 
with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash JSB. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash JSB. The outspoken American president, Theodore Roosevelt, once said, The first requisite of a good citizen in this republic of ours is that he should be able and willing to pull his own weight. That could probably be said of any republic or democracy, a government of the people. The Bible says Christians are citizens of heaven, first and foremost. So does that same requirement hold true? What weight in his kingdom does God expect us to pull? The Bible calls that weight stewardship, being responsible and faithful with all God has entrusted to us. That includes our time, our talent, and treasure, and all we have and are. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's requirements for citizenship on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.